Miles, we're almost there. We have six episodes left. I don't even have time to come up with an intro this week. Let's talk about the next three episodes of Forever Night. Hello, Miles. How are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty, pretty good. And man, we are we are in the home stretch here, Drew. We the twilight, if you will. Ow. Um. So coming off of the movie, it was it was interesting coming back to the show. I did. I mean, it kind of honestly felt like a little bit of a homecoming. Yeah, like, it was it was it was interesting. It was good to be back in the the it's weird because it's so cold outside as we're recording this and our thoughts go out to everybody in, in the country who's without power and and who is ha- just having a hard time with this sudden crazy winter storm. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty grody out there. But Some, uh, somehow we live in the in the one part that's sort of like neo dodged this bullet so far. <laughs> it well it was in the 20s where i am which is not oh it's not we haven't gotten any of the the other problems it rained all day for three days stopped raining again is not a problem i know i'm just saying stopped raining and then dropped to the 20s it's like we were like a day apart from having something terrible happen it's that it's that neo that neo dodge but i know i know kung fu Speaking of Neo Dodges, <laughs> let's get into the first of our three episodes. We are covering episodes 17, 18, and 19 tonight. Unreality TV, Feeding the Beast, and If Looks Could Kill. And I do want to put out a weird thing. In some places, If Looks Could Kill is not episode 19. It's episode 21. But we we are following the, the official episode order that we found. So... Yeah, I, I looked on the regular Wikipedia and IMDb, and if looks could kill was episode nineteen in those. There, it looks like some places that is mixed with uh, uh, nineteen sixty six. I think it's called. Um, so, <sighs> if you do, if you follow that order, that's fine. But this is this is the order that we are following. And if you know that, if you know for a fact that that's an issue, you know what episodes we're talking about anyway. Yes. So let's get into <laughs> our first one. Unreality TV. Copswatch so, is on the scene in Toronto, uh, going along with Nick and Skanky in their car as they go around with the with the host, Tawny Teller, as they're trying to get to the bottom of a uh, of a crazy random shooter who seems to be using this automatic weapon to shoot people. And for some reason, the cops can't catch him. That seems weird. But uh, but of course, in the in the, the meantime, Nick has to worry about getting caught on camera and unfortunately does. Can Nick convince Tawny to destroy the tapes before the vampire enforcers take her life to solve the problem? So first of all, uh, I, I was very, very excited given the, the, the name of this episode and the synopsis, the two, the two cent synopsis we had going in. 
And I was expecting something similar to the cops crossover episode, the X-Files. And so I can't, I can't lie in that. I was a little disappointed when I first started the episode that this wasn't that that's immediately ended by skanky. Just, eating this up saying it's a dark and lonely jungle out there with lots of animals masquerading as human beings not like, a bit of scenery left unchewed by the skank man this episode yeah, it's that that opening scene is great and honestly i thought i was gonna be a little down this episode but i really really liked it the, even the actual case itself is not really the focus of the episode it's all about the show and what happens when nick's secret has the possibility of being properly leaked out and i thought i thought this is something i'm surprised it's taken us you know 17 episodes to get here considering how this Considering how kind of loosey-goosey Nick is with his vampire powers, there this does answer a question, though. And it, it solves the idea of, we know that he hypnotizes people after the fact. This episode... Not well. Hmm? <laughs> Not well. <laughs> well, sometimes. But this episode solves the, the idea of, you know... There's apparently a new thing going on that, that he and, <laughs> and uh, Jeanette talk about, where... The video and film and pictures, that's hard proof. And once somebody has hard proof, apparently vampire hypnotism doesn't really work. I, I, I like the idea at play. I think the show itself kind of fails a little bit because they just say that's the rule. Like it's like I think he asked Jeanette and, and she says, oh, well, if you destroy the evidence, then they then, will then you can hypnotize them that's fine and i'm like but they still have the empirical evidence so it, it's interesting it's weird that they they make that as just some weird rule and again this is playing with old school vampire rules which have since been played with to death and and re you know configured and stuff so this is the old school you know silver hurts some garlic hurts some all that stuff is is still in play and i i take for granted that fact sometimes and so i i i, I kind of have to let slide but yes it, it does explain why nick isn't always successful at compelling people and you know the the the, the crux of this episode is that basically they they take these people on a, a normal route and they come across this this crazed shooter and Nick, who who actually hasn't had too much of a, a temper problem in recent episodes that comes back in full force as soon as there's a camera on, on him. Well, because he knows that, like, if the cameras weren't there, he could have just flown over and taken the guy down. Right. And, and he can't and the do person that who, with the cameras. Yeah. And the person who doesn't care about being on camera is just clearly acts like it. Yeah. However, that doesn't stop the shooter from getting a couple lucky shots off. And the reporter, the unfortunately named uh, Tawny Teller, which, I mean, that's a name. Uh, Tawny Teller. That, 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 that's right. The school of Stan Lee right there. Uh, Tawny Teller. What's what's funny about her? She's played by uh, an actress named Laura Robinson, Laura Robinson, who I I swear she looks so familiar. I could not place her from anything that I had ever seen before. 
But it looks like she did a lot with Canadian television. She was on a lot of Canadian television. And the role she is most known for is as a TV detective on a show called <laughs> Night Heat. Uh, Which I feel like I Christine saw. Like, Meadows. I feel like I saw that in syndication, like at some point during the early 90s. You may have seen In the Heat of the Night. I, that's a very different show. It is, but it was a very <laughs> similar title. But uh, no, but I know in the heat of the night because I remember that I've watched that with my grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) But this this episode also and we should talk about the flashback because the flashback shows us Dr. Knight. Then I don't think we ever get his first name spoken by anybody other than LaCroix, but Dr. Knight serving as a surgeon in the Civil War. So I, I have mixed feelings about this. <laughs> uh, we've already heard me kind of opine about my feelings of Nick being involved in every major event in modern history. But this one is interesting in that he's a, not only a doctor, but a major in the army, in the Civil War, where there are daytime battles and no warehouses he can hide in. Yeah, oh, you think you're going to tell me that that translucent tent is going to protect you from sunlight, Nicholas? Right. So I had a problem with that. Uh, again, his the, timeline. These Civil, they Civil War battles were legit crazy that they show in this. That was not a Civil War battle, as far as I'm aware. No, of no. May, maybe like that looked like a World War II battle. It, you know, like, ex- I was very confused as to where this took place. When I saw the actual battle <laughs> explosions going off everywhere, like, you know, it's like, I mean, I know they had cannons and stuff, but still they were doing a lot of fighting at night. I mean, they had to be able to see to shoot people that wasn't really working in the middle of the night half the time. Yeah, I, I got I, aside from being just completely inaccurate in terms of the historical aspect, I just his timeline still makes no sense. So in in this instance. During the Civil War, it's apparently been 60 years since Nick saw LaCroix. Uh, because Which I I'm sure is inaccurate that, based on something else that we've seen already. But yes, uh, they claim the last time they saw each other was the War of 1812. Which they have referred to a couple of times. But this is, I think, the earliest that we have seen of Nick in the New World. Everything prior to this has been in the Old World. Now... LaCroix, uh, however, we know that at some point Nick goes back overseas to participate in World War One. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I remember I was, I was very, very excited watching this episode because LaCroix seeks him out because he knows that one of Nick's people took a photograph of him, this this newfangled invention. And. What I loved about this, because I, I took a note, you know, he starts to, you know, saying, like, you know, they're not going to take kindly to this. And I kept thinking, oh, man, is there a vampire council being hinted at? Because we have had no mention at all of any sort of vampire hierarchy in this show whatsoever. It's been mostly Jeanette, Lacroix and Nick with a couple people popping up here and there. And I got very, very excited. At this prospect and and in that aspect, the show delivers for me. Yeah, I think that my my problem is, why is this the first we are hearing of this in episode 17 of the show? 
I because honestly, there aren't that many vampires around, and that we know of. That we because know of. this shows there are there are more vampires around. Like it all, there are a couple of episodes here that show that not everybody, well, not everybody that goes to the Raven is a vampire. Which I kind of assumed that everybody that went to the Raven was a vampire, but that wasn't necessarily this episode. But uh, I also have to say. I like the concept of the enforcers, these people who go to whatever links they can to keep the vampire secret. But the enforcers in this episode were just kind of a couple of brutes that didn't say well, anything. And so the, the 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 thought amongst fans is that these aren't necessarily the enforcers, but kind of like the the base level henchmen of the enforcers. Um, so you think that the enforcers is like an organization that these two are just like, right? Which which kind of lines up with what we see in the past. Even though the way the information travels in the past is suspect at the very best, um, and I, I found the the entire enforcers aspect pretty interesting, um. And you, do you know how often the enforcers are brought up in this in this show from here on out? I don't. None. Oh well, there you go. This is the only episode <laughs> they are mentioned at all, and I, of course, of course, wanted to flip my table over because I was just doing some light research on the background of the episode, and so I clicked on the on, on a tab in the Forever Night Wiki about the enforcers just to get a. Uh, a grasp of what we're going to possibly be in, in for in the future. No, this is the only episode in all three seasons that they are mentioned at all. Well, you know, that's that's the way it goes, I guess. Oh. No, I was so mad at this show. And apparently the fans were massively into this concept. Because their whole thing is they want to keep the mass spread of information about vampires down. So, which is why I think that Nat is fine. Like she knows the secret, but no one else knows she knows it. But if someone has a videotape or a photo that they can circulate into some sort of publication or get into a multitude of people's hands, then the mortals are more likely to know what's up with vampires. Irrefutable proof is the idea with that. Right. And so when you have empirical evidence that that seems to tip the the enforcers off and i mean honestly we don't really have to go into a lot of this episode because everything else is pretty cut and dry it's mostly just about the concept of this information getting out because at first i was pretty irritated with the flashbacks one they're back and two i just i was like oh great i even took a note about how annoyed i was because i was i was like great that photography how novel this is this is the, <laughs> this is the theme that we're going to stick with oh cameras yeah and then when it when it comes to the theme of protecting the secret i thought this was interesting and we come to find out that one of tony teller's producers is a vampire and so as soon as she tells someone else that she suspects that there's something otherworldly about nick well that's that's when they're they're brought in. They, 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 they fly off and bring in the other enforcers. Danny, now, Danny the Vamp narks out on uh, old Danny. Tony. Now, what follows is actually, I think, one of the most cool 
it's one of the most well shot scenes in terms of horror stuff in this show. There's a scene where Tawny goes to, I guess, the um, the studio or the production building, and she is talking to the guard who seems to be asleep. And that they try to do a couple things like have the um, the door continue to spin and just a couple like quiet, creepy things happen, which if it was done in a film would have a budget and have better blocking and everything. But <laughs> even even done here, I was like, honestly, you know, despite it being. You know, a syndicated genre show, they did a really solid job with the scene. I thought it was very, very effectively shot. And in 1992, this probably would have scared some people. And it's the first time that I thought they did something truly on the horror movie side of things in this show, in terms of how a scene was shot. It's, there's very, very few scenes in this season so far where I'm like, oh, this probably scared someone or this. There was a jump scare here. That doesn't really happen in this show. And this yeah. is the first aspect of that we got. And that's what really made me a big, big fan of this episode. Yeah, it just it was interesting. It just didn't do a ton for me. Um, I, I like some of the set pieces. I like the the ideas and the concepts. But as as you say, so far, all the great concepts we've gotten in season one of Forever Night, most of them don't come back. So yeah, it's hard to it, stay it, excited about that. It, it is. And it's also because the show can't always decide what it wants to do, because when Nick goes against other vampires, he seems to be like a freaking puppy. But then when he's all one on one, like, for example, when the enforcers come in, I mean, they Nick charges him. One guy just grabs his neck, picks him up and tosses him aside. No problem. When one of them is by themselves and. Uh, he basically just threatens him off. It, it's it's all of a sudden like he's a a grown lion cub. Like it's Sa same thing with same thing with with Danny the Vamp in the hallways. Like you need to leave town now. You need I'm specifically talking about Danny the Vamp because he he's he threatens him effectively when two seconds ago he couldn't do anything. He now couldn't maybe, do anything. Now maybe Danny the Vamp is not an effective vamp, but. I mean, the, the idea that Nick is is he drinks animal blood, he doesn't drink human blood. He's accused by LaCroix in the very first episode of the show of being weaker because he's not feeding as much as he should. Right. I don't know. It's, it's I, I, weird. And, and I thought about that, too, Drew. And that's fine, but we need to reiterate these things. And I, I think if we if we saw a little bit more of that consistent throughout the show. I, I, I like this as an episodic show by nature, but I do need some through th uh, through threads and we get some every now and then that that pop in and pop out uh, specifically like his relationship with Jeanette, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I just I think that's the one thing and I know this is a different time to uh, television was a very, very different place. But that is one thing that constantly kind of makes me sigh during the show is the lack of continuity in some of the storytelling. That yeah. said, I think this show is still like, I really did enjoy a lot of what this episode had to offer. I, I was kind of going in expecting 
a really bonkers episode in the same vein as the rock and roll episode. Like that, I, that's what I was, I was, <laughs> we were both excited about this episode when we read about it. Yeah. So for it to be a little more toned down, I, I get that, that there was being a little disappointment, but it, I just, um, I just have to say this, this whole concept of reality TV, I have to remind myself that in 1992, two reality TV shows really existed on a mass scale. It was the real world, like the first couple of rules. seasons <laughs> was road rules around in 92. I feel like that didn't come out until yeah, later. They, did, they, did, they, they both came out around the same time, I think because they did the, then they did the real real world road rules challenge stuff. I didn't think road rules, uh, was road rules might've been, I think road rules might've been first now, road rules debuted in 95. Oh, so did, was, was it that late? It was. Yeah. So, uh, and oh. so the real world was like 91. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, 92. 92. May, 92. First episode was May 21st, 1992. And if we look at this, uh, this aired in November of 1992. So it's possible that this episode was filming without a co- with the only concept being cops as a reality TV show, which is. That's kind of funny. I don't know. It's, I find it, that interesting. It is pretty funny. Um, so let's get let's get into the next episode. If looks could kill, and if looks could kill, uh, feeding the beast. Feeding the beast. Oh man, we're this episode is um, it's something. Well, I don't know whether it's red pills or blue pills, but people are definitely taking pills in this episode. As boy, Nick goes undercover at a twelve-step program where. Members of it have be, been being murdered, but while there, discovers that he might have a path to free himself of vampirism by curing himself of an addiction to blood. So we are, we already have established my feelings on the blood equals alcohol addiction concept and how terrible it is. And this this episode has learned none of those lessons. No, it has at all. not learned any of those <laughs> it, lessons. It, it, it just buries its feet further in place and just doubles down. It doubles down. And I whenever they choose to cover this this particular subject in this show, I feel like they always miss the mark. And and this episode is, is no different because there, I feel like that it was genuinely well intentioned, in su- in some ways to talk about addiction and to talk about people being taken advantage of, and I just I don't think that this episode succeeds in what it's trying to do. Which is sad because there are some really good performances in this episode. It's just the there whole, absolutely are the whole concept is kind of. And what's funny is it, there are some very, very good performances. None of them come from the biggest star that came out of this episode. <laughs> I don't know. She had some she had some interesting performances, but we'll get into that. I, 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 say, I would definitely agree that they were the, it was the, interesting. The, Whether or not it was good is a different the the biggest, the biggest problem that I have with this episode is that it doesn't know whether to be on the side of addiction recovery programs or to make fun of addiction recovery programs because it seems to do both at the same time. And I know it's in this really uncomfortable spot. I know 12 step programs are, are not the answer for every addict, but they have definitely been the answer for some addicts. And I don't know. It's just, it feels 
that whole thing, I don't want to like it's 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 weird. It's just that's really the only word I can come up yeah, with for I feel, it. Like I said, I feel like this this it's it's one of those things where a show wants to cover uh something that's topical, something that's a hot button issue, or something that is clearly making a commentary. And a lot of times it's a a surface level commentary. And this this show it feels like the writers thought just because they were talking about it felt they I, I feel like they felt like they were they were doing some sort of service that, that, oh we're 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 bringing this subject to light when they're not saying anything and they're also not doing a, anyone any favors yeah in this uh, episode i i i i don't want to say like oh this episode's insensitive it's not that it's just I feel like no, it's it is that it is that in well, some it, other it, it, very it specific in, ways. It is insensitive, but it's also it's not particularly well thought out. And I think that's what the problem is, is it doesn't really say anything. And I feel like that's it's disappointing because this episode provides an opportunity to say something very interesting and and like you said, there are some very good performances in this episode. Uh, Nick, actually, as much as I dislike the whole blood equals addiction, Davies does a very compelling job in this episode. I agree. He, I think probably some of his best, best acting in the, in the season so far. And, and most of that is because we see Nick go into this with doubts, with second thoughts kind of go through some of the steps he gets a sponsor who we will talk about she she's the 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 focus of the episode and has a withdrawal and and has a a a fall off the wagon moment it i don't know that that all any of those steps necessarily feel earned because it seems like he was only stopped no. drinking blood for a day the episode yeah before before he flips out and decides he's going to go back to being a full vampire and almost kill somebody at the Raven. <sighs> yeah, this episode also feels skanky. Uh, skanky is someone that we've seen become a, a more or less a full fleshed character, but also someone who is yeah a little goofy. And in this, they cannot figure how to toe that line. They have moments where Skanky's existence in this episode is to make light of addiction with his cigarette uh, addiction. And simultaneously, when they do choose to enter him back in the story, when he decides, Oh wait, Nick was actually trying to talk to me about something. He leaves this very for him, sweet voicemail. Yeah. About, yeah. Hey man, I know you were, I, I just realized you were trying to tell me something and you know, you're my partner. And it was a, for Skanky, very, very sweet. Yeah, you're my partner. I'll take you however I can get you. Yeah, it was a great line and delivered very, very well. well and, and, I, and I have to say something on the other side of this. One of one of Nick's first steps is to uh, is to admit his addiction to someone that he loves and respects. And the person that he chooses to do that to is Skanky. Can yeah. I get a skank squad up in here, please? I, I, I really liked that, and I thought they could have played a lot more with that. And instead, they chose to make it the butt of a joke. And 
that was a failure on the writer's part because I, I, you say that I, that honestly that reaction that Skanky has in that moment I that that seems like a 1992 Skanky reaction that he needed to take time to process what it all meant yeah, and that, that was part serious is fine that, it's that, everything that, else around it that's the problem with the character always taking cigarettes from people and like yeah like i said he 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 his existence in this episode is to make light of addiction and i understand that they're trying to add some some levity to this episode because this this could get real preachy real well, dramatic are they, real are they, dark they're, are they're, real tr- fast. they're trying to show that you know you can be an addict without realizing you're an addict because skanky's goes on this whole thing about how he only buys a pack a week and da 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 i only smoke one a day yeah but how many do you bum skanky because we've literally seen him bum four cigarettes by this point in over yeah. two, the course of two days and that's that that's that's the thing is like i think that there's they keep repeating this scene and i it just that aspect doesn't work. There is stuff that Skanky has in this episode that I think is really good. I again, I just wish they would have got a, another draft out. Uh, but let's let's talk about. Uh, hey, I know that face. The the sponsor for Nick and several other characters that we meet in this episode is maybe played by maybe the biggest name that we have seen come out of forever night so far she's played by carrie ann moss aka trinity from the matrix movies and it's it's so funny because i didn't read ahead that she was in this episode and when there's neither before she appears there i know you said something about her voice but before she's actually like has a main moment as a character in the episode there's a pan to the uh like an all like a whole gymnasium of people who are listening to this this AA meeting. She sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> like I was like, is that Carrie Ann Moss? And then when she appears again, I was like, oh my God, that's Trinity. And they <sighs> this character is is something else. Well, because we you mentioned AA and they don't call it AA in this because no, it's it is a, a, I think a, a blanket addiction in general. Yeah. Not alcohol they, they, they do alcohol. mention the twelve steps, but the thing that you have to understand is that this twelve step program. Some people are there for alcohol. Some people are there for drugs, smack, crack, junk, whatever else Nick says in his uh, his monologue that he's trying to do before he has a. Before we realize it's a dream, that's a whole other thing. His monologue sounds like one of those speakers your your middle school would get to come talk to you about drugs. Oh yeah, it's like (laughs) I'm I'm here, but I'm an addict, but I'm not into alcohol or crack or junk or smack or fizzbo or flibbledy gibbets or weed or the rock. It's so weird. Anyway, uh, but not so. However, uh, Monica, Carrie Ann Moss's character, Trinity's character. uh, This is a PG rated show, so I'm just going to do what they they call it. She's addicted to love. Face it, you're addicted to love. Yeah, not the song, the kind where you (laughs) leave an argument and go to a massage parlor, not to get a massage but to give them wait what yeah that's 
<laughs> Did you Were miss you that part? argument? Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, th- I thought you were just talking in platitudes, and I was like, wait, wait. No, that's what happened in the episode. <laughs> yeah, she it, is, it is what happened in the episode. <laughs> sorry. I was like... <laughs> I was like, this is a PG-13 podcast, but I'll go with you, buddy. Um, so, yes. And I, I even made a note about this because this is the one of the more erotically charged scenes I have seen Nick in in season one. And it's definitely that feeling of like, it's late night, but on a major network. Yeah. Because it, this would have been a whole different scenario if this was on HBO or or uh, Skinamax. Like it, it had that vibe. And yes, and Nick, Nick is <sighs> Nick does not know how to person very well. I, I understand that he was trying to like you know be a little honorable, but then he just flat out. <laughs> blocks are shot entirely and it's it's a, almost a comical scene look i I, and I respect nick for for understanding what's going on right there and saying you I, know, this- I i i do as well i'm not saying that the character is the problem i'm saying the scene is the problem <laughs> yep yep i mean the implication behind it because you also have to remember and we haven't talked about this monica is loved by everyone at this addiction recovery place she is spoken of very highly she's the one that is introducing everybody she is you know i'd marry her if, if she'd let me da 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 and oh, there, yeah. there are some heavy implications based on the list of names of people that she has sponsored that this this is not the first time that she has fallen off the wagon uh, it sounds like she does it fairly regularly and uh and that's what's gotten people people and, killed. And what's so what what makes that scene not work is the fact that she talks about like, you know, oh, I I call out for you in the night and you're not there and I'm like, you met him like 6 hours ago. Yeah, it's I mean, it's that says certain things about the character, but I don't think that's what they're trying to say about the character. And I think they're trying to make her genuinely addicted to attachment. And I think the writing is just, it's very, very awkward. Like the only other scene we have is this honestly good dinner scene where they're at the diner from the Rockstar episode, which was a a fun little the very same diner. So this is where I want to take a take another side trip because we don't have any flashbacks in this episode like we did like we th- this mirrors the Rockstar episode in that in the episode after I think too where there's no flashbacks. I can't remember. But the Rockstar episode specifically because we don't have instead of flashbacks we have dreams. The, uh, the episode after the Rockstar episode it was all flashbacks but it was Natalie's perspective not Nick's perspective. Oh, that's right. That's right. Anyway, uh, so we have Nick trying to do this big, uh, big speech in front of all these people like my name is Nick and I'm an alcoholic. And you look at the panels behind him and they're in some sort of Sanskrit text or something. I couldn't tell exactly what it was. And all of a sudden, the podium starts bleeding blood out of every seam. And it's kind of a neat scene, but it's also like, yeah, okay, forever night. We get it. It's a dream. But. A few scenes later, Nick 
and Monica, Trinity's character, are in the diner that we see in Nick's vision from a few episodes ago. Except this time it's not a vision. This time he's actually eating the French fries covered in ketchup. Which 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 says to me is this, this whole thing's just been a long grift to eat some fries. You don't need a grift to eat fries, Nikki baby. You can just eat them. They good. Chomp, chomp, chomp. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought it was fun to to reuse. I'm I'm assuming just that that same studio, and they wanted to have a dinner scene, so they used that same diner, which yeah. I appreciate because it adds continuity to the show. It, it does, but I also, on some level, wonder if. The scenes shot for the rock and roll episode were originally meant for this episode. And because oddly, the one character that I think does not make as much of a of a of an impact on this episode that I think she should is Natalie, the person who's been trying to help Nick be less of a vampire for three years is yeah, barely they- in this episode. Well, not only is she bearing the episode, but they Nick just plays her off like a little jealousy, perhaps. And, well, and I'm like, and she's, Nick, and she's like, what you need, is you doing? And, and she's like, Nick, you need to be just a little bit realistic. And that throws him off the handle. And I don't know uh, that. And I mean, listen, when you <laughs> because they have to have this whole scene where he has this bottle of blood. And that's him breaking bad, apparently, even though we've seen him drink blood plenty of times. Well, well, he ends so, up- so he he's he has prior to this poured all of the bottles of blood down the drain. Yes, uh, except for one hidden bottle, one hidden bottle that this vision of Lacroix is like, where's the last bottle, Nicolaj? Where's the last bottle? Again, I, I think the blood equals alcohol just does not work. I know that's what they were trying to do, and it just does not work for me. And we do get this good scene at the Raven, uh, where we also get the return of The Night Calls My Name, the <laughs> unsung hero of this season, the pop song that plays in almost every single episode. <laughs> Nick is taking shots of blood like it's Patron. And I mean, it's hilarious. And to the point where like Jeanette is, oh, I have to cut you off. And I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, like, it's, it's not. Is, it, uh, it, it, it doesn't work. And then he goes and dances with Trinity and almost bites her. No, that wasn't and, Trinity. That was somebody else. Was it not Trinity? Okay. No, that was just I, some. I thought it, that was some another, some gothy lady that was in there. Oh, that, okay. I thought I thought it was her. No, um, I, I I don't know. I don't know what her or she's not credited with a name, but she's like, but they have this whole thing like like how she finds death sexy or something like that. It's really yeah. Weird. It's it, it's 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 not great. So that what they have Jeanette do, which which also makes me feel like. Jeanette's a homegirl. She calls Natalie and Skanky and says, hey, come and get your boy. <laughs> come and get your boy. I and, Which and, is... This adds so many... This That one act adds a lot of dimension for me because, one, it shows that as much crap as she gives Nick about his choices, she genuinely cares about him. And she also knows that he doesn't need to be doing this. 
And I think that's really fascinating on Jeanette's part. Because Nick and Jeanette have had this whole whole conversation about how, you know, he's he's done. He's going to go full vamp again. He's not going to care because, you know, what do these humans do? They just they they take and they take and they, you know, and then they die. And why would I want to? choose to die of old age you know sign me up like all this kind of stuff just yeah it's 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 not great and uh natalie the only person outside of jeanette that knows nick's a vampire is like skank just out here i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of this and but even still what's my boy skank do he just he he has to call in it's like nick i'm here we're here for you. If there's anything we could do, it's like skank squad. No, and, th- and that's the thing. It's like there are aspects of skanking this episode that are phenomenal. And I wish they I honestly wish they had played skanky a little straighter in this episode because it's it's so telling in what they want from the character. And I really, really liked that. And after this, it's, you know, he goes to to chase down Trinity, and she's with a dead body covered in blood. And all of a sudden, his cop instincts kick back in. I guess that's the the vampire kryptonite. <laughs> Turns out, police work is the real addiction, Miles. <laughs> yeah, just give him a Scooby snack, and he's good to go. Apparently, <laughs> Zoinks, um, Natalie. But, what was I thinking? <laughs> no, but that's exactly what he says. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm sorry," and I'm like, "What?" Yeah, this, and, this, this, and, this episode is so awkwardly written. It, it, it is. It annoys it's, me. it's super awkwardly written for everything except for the character moments, which is just the weirdest thing. Like, I feel like talking about this, I actually appreciate more of this episode than I did before we had this conversation. But I still think it's got so much against it in the way that so many things are presented yes. from a 2020 context. That's again, we should comment. This is a, I, a it's hard for me. To, it's hard for me to say because I don't know what I would have thought when I was eight. But um, yeah, this is nearly 30 years ago <laughs> that this episode aired. We have to say that. So no, but I, I do think you're right. The the character stuff and, and we talked about this earlier. The general character acting in this episode is excellent and some of the best of the show. But everything else falls apart for me because we basically forget that there's a mystery going on. And it turns out that the killer is Monica's sister. Who's yeah. addicted to saving Monica? Listen, she's not addicted to saving Monica. She is. She's trying to. I feel what she says. I mean, th- she says that. She says that I'm addicted a, to saving my sister. That was a lame line. I mean, the real the real thing is that w- failing to see her sister falling into her sister's addiction of love, um, attachments, whatever you want to call it, because it is more than just uh, a physical thing. It, there seems to be an emotional connection too, but uh, it's all about how her sister's the only one who truly loved her. And none of these, these other people loved her in the yeah. same way. Hate and they, they tricked her into falling off the wagon. They tricked her into falling into her desires. It's, it's just, it's a it's, mess. It's, 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 it's problematic. I, I, I was writing, just mean things about this episode, which is is not in my nature. As everyone who who's listened to the show for a long time knows that I I tend to love everything, but I just I was kind of angry about the treatment of addiction in this episode, and I, I was going to write this episode off, but 
like like a gymnast that may have messed up a move, they stick the landing still. This episode is almost completely saved by Skanky as an art critic. Nick has been the, painting a painting the entire episode. Instead so of his great. instead of his brooding playing piano moments, we get brooding painting this black and red and then splashes of yellow. Uh, Which uh, I honestly prefer. I prefer yeah, I like doing it too. something. I like it too. We've seen art in his apartment before, in his house before. He likely paints. And so so Natalie is just like, this is great. It's great. I really like it. Da, da, da. It's like, oh, you mean that, Nat? Da, da, da. And then Skanky walks in. And then the, both of them like, mm, what's Skanky going to think? And then Skank Man, my boy, has this art critic level <laughs> it's so good i i wish i had the scene pulled up or someone had taken quotes because i mean he basically just gives a legit art criticism and then both <laughs> both nick and natalie are looking at him like bewildered and he's like oh myra has the the diaries of andy warhol in the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> in the crapper, I believe, is the term that he uses. <laughs> but Skanky. it's so good. But it's such a good ending. Like, separate from the episode, I, I, I was I started dying laughing. And I was like, all right, they, they got me because I was going to I was going to put this episode as a wash. Because there, there are so many things that I dislike about this episode in terms of its mishandling of addiction uh which is honestly it's a very very serious thing and there were like 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 we talked about there are, are the, the performances are very very good it was well intentioned i just don't think it lands and so again 20, 2020 context it's just sure one, one absolutely of but still i mean we we are we are human beings in 2021 um and yeah I, I I'm not gonna say, oh, this is my least favorite episode because no, I mean it's very watchable. It's got things to talk about, which honestly, that's great. I, I'm glad that we can sit and chat about this episode. We have things to chew on because there have been some episodes where we're like, yeah, this stuff happened, and either I liked it or I didn't. Uh, well, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, let's move on to our last episode of the evening. If looks could kill. Nick, Natalie, and Skanky are brought in to a a attempted murder scene where the murderer was where the attempted murderer was killed by a mall security guard who has a gun. Which <laughs> there's a little check mark so, in the unrealistic first uh, first block. Well, you know, I, I I had the same. I actually even wrote, did mall security ever have guns? Because I, I was thinking about myself, I was, like, I was like, surely not. And then I was like, well, the 80s were wild. And sometimes every, every mall, mall security, security, sometimes mall security in the 80s were actual cops. Every like, like, 80s the, movie like had security guards in a mall. Had, like you watch Chopping Mall, they've all got guns. Watch, you know, every, every that's it's it's more. I, I love that that was your first go to. I just Chopping recently mall. saw it. And, and <laughs> I know you did. Dude, dude, I'm, I'm the one who told you to watch it. <laughs> dude from the Wes Anderson movies is one of the the uh, the security guards in it. But anyway, but uh, 
What's odd, though, is that when Natalie takes the body back to the morgue and goes back to look at it later, this young woman in her 20s is suddenly an old lady. And no one's messed with the body. Nobody's done anything to it. What's up with this? So I, I do want to point out the cold open of this episode. I know it's not supposed to be, but is absolutely it, hilarious. It is hysterical. This lady, uh, Norma. Like, Drew, Drew mentioned that he just started watching it. And all I got was a series of ha 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 ha's. And I knew exactly what he was reacting to. I literally typed, all right, if looks can kill, here we go. Ha 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 Because the episode opens with Norma. She's at this, this makeup counter. And there is this very annoying lady who is 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 the clerk who is trying to to sell her on this stuff. And she just <laughs> just has like, oh, well, you know, you might not do it now, but just the, but now is three seconds from now is, is going to be later. And then old age is right. It's all this awful, awful stuff. And and all of a sudden she starts getting double vision and the uh, the voice gets echoey and she starts making state like Norma, the 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 woman that we know will is Norma, uh starts you know, making statements of that she's tired of this entire and she just pulls out a gun and shoots this lady. And it's like, oh my this is it's it is 45 seconds into the episode where we get it's, that happening. It's so good. It's this episode's wild. wild. Um, and then immediately when, the, when they're called in, at, I, I even wrote down, because we don't know the woman's name yet, Skanky says, Goodbye Norma Dean, which is a reference to the Elton John song. And I, I go, did he mean Norma Jean? And they just got it wrong? So I, and I, I, thought, this, go, I, thought, I thought the same thing, Miles. <laughs> thought the same thing. <laughs> and then it's like, and then I later write, oh, never mind. That's just her actual name. Yes. But the thing is, a pun doesn't work if you don't know that that's her name. Like, it, it yeah. was like 15 minutes later that we find out her actual name is Norma Dean. And so I, th that, that point didn't uh, work for me. What did work was because for some reason, Natalie is sometimes at the crime scenes. Sometimes she's not. But she said this particular imagine crime scene. In, in, in her Toronto precinct, there are, I mean, we've seen other uh, uh forensic pathologists there sure but skanky finds a a little ad on one of the counters of a model and he because they're, they're having a conversation about beauty standards already and then skanky completely devoid of you know self-awareness picks this thing up and, and says oh you need to see the rest of her i worship that woman and natalie precious precious <laughs> natalie <laughs> With that woman is 15 years old. <laughs> Oopsie daisies. That's what we call um, a nat fact. Yeah. <laughs> but, but honestly, that, that uh, they do a good, what they do really well in this episode is what they didn't do really well in the last episode, where they do really talk about beauty standards and modeling and everything exceptionally well in this episode. And they, 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 and they frame that with an uncharacteristically good flashback. Yeah, one that actually makes sense and adds pathos to the character of Nick Knight. Wow. So our flashback <laughs> is is Nick in uh, some 1500s, 1600s. He's 
He's somewhere in a fancy place, but he's staying at the home at the behest of a baroness. But the baroness, who is, I will say, she is on. Uh, she's not old, but she she's is. A, she's a mature lady. I mean, she's beyond her sort of youthful. I'm, 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 I'm just sitting back waiting for you to find something that you want to use because he looks so uncomfortable. Because I don't um, want. Because I mean, because because if you see the scene, you understand exactly why she is a baroness. She's married to a baron, and the baron is entertaining all these like presumably. 14, 15 year old, let's be real when it comes to Renaissance society yes. time period, uh, who are all, you know, young and, 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 you know, she, 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 okay, she is a woman who is at the time perceived to be in the twilight of her beauty. That, thank that. Why could you not save me that awkwardness? Because you had that written <laughs> because, down. No, I didn't. I, I really didn't. Damn it, Miles. I, you're I, making I me look bad. While you, were, while you were gasping for air. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> and, but, 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 so, but yes. so she, the Baroness, uh, and this is one thing I love about her, is that she is, though she, she, is obsessed with youth and beauty. She ain't stupid. No, she knows that something is up with Nick uh, or whatever he's going by at this time. I think she calls him Nick. I think she I think it's still Nick. Uh, she or knows Nicholas. something's up with him and she wants him to give that to her. And it's weird that she seems to already know he's a vampire, but they do a big reveal that He's a vampire later on in those flashbacks. I don't really know what order they were filmed in, but Nick does not want to turn her into a vampire. Uh, he he doesn't feel right about that. Well, and and and, and this is one one instance where continuity does help because we have seen what happens when he does. He has learned this lesson already where he made someone a vampire and it went very badly. The the lady the lady on the beach who had leprosy. Yes. So I assume this is after this, and so he he understands. I have learned my lesson. As much as I want to do this favor for you, uh, uh-uh, ain't gonna happen. Yeah. So we flash forward back to uh, back to the nineties, um, and we're starting to meet. I was gonna do the the Bojack Horseman theme song. I don't know. I'm oh. in a weird mood. <laughs> Back in the 90s, I was a vampire cop. Anyway. We are now meeting the rest of Norma's friends because she doesn't have any family, but she has friends that are uh, that she considers family. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw out these names because this is this is important. I, so, I legit did not add this together. And so when Drew said this, I was like, oh, that was and I will I'll give the writers this. This was genuinely clever. Yeah. So we have Norma. We have Bernice. We have Agnes. <laughs> These are her two other friends that that uh, basically I'm just going to skip to the end. They are undergoing a treatment where these are all super old ladies, one of whom is getting a social security check. That is a legit social security check, which is just funny. Uh, the, uh, Bernice Applebaum is is uh, is. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Bernice Applebaum. Wait, I know that voice. 
she's played by Terry Hawks, who is known mostly for being the voice of Sailor Moon in a, a large number of the Sailor Moon anime English dubs. Is wild. And she's had a, a very wide and varied TV career. Well, well, and also what's interesting to me is because I, I did notice that that certain like wealthier families did keep that name a decent bit in the 70s and 80s. So I, I could also realistically see a Norma and maybe a Bernice. Agnes less so. And again, yeah, yeah I should have kind of connected the dots, but I didn't. But also when I realized it, I, I did think that was genuinely clever of the writers. And I thought the case itself was interesting because you see people losing their facilities. Then committing murder, well, and then or, growing or, or doing doing super angry, violent acts. Like it's it's right. It's losing control and having violent outbursts is is kind of the key. And, and honestly, it's one of those things where it's like they're usually antagonized. Like Norma was antagonized by the irritating facilities of the 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 counter girl, and then one other girl is working out and just horribly harassed that that, by, that dude deserved what he got yeah i'm just gonna say I, that that I, dude i think that i think the crime was reversed i think she actually this was self-defense it was um, i mean the dude literally picked her up and threw her onto a workout machine and she picked up a weight and hit him in the head that yeah. is 100 self-defense yeah in my opinion and so and then you have the aspects of them growing older po- post-mortem. I think the case is genuinely interesting. And honestly, when, when the episode plays itself out, you're like, oh, of course. But because this show never does this, I was genuinely surprised when the culprit was who the culprit was. Yeah. And, and we should... I'm just going to go ahead and say, because I, I think... There's not yeah, you, you a, there's not a lot more to say about this episode other than just sort of the impact of it. The culprit. I got I got I got, I got some thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the culprit we find out is a Dr. Sophia Jurgen, which just so happens to be the Baroness herself, because yes. as we learn, she has been made a vampire by Jeanette. Which, by the way, is a plot hole because just like three episodes ago, Jeanette said that she wasn't going to ever make anybody a vampire because okay, I'm, I'm glad you're in the same too. continuity era as me <laughs> because I my my, the, my whole like I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, that makes no sense. She specifically said I couldn't help myself. I'm too much of a glutton to turn anybody. Again, it's it's a situation where. These episodes, the continuity needed to last two episodes, and that's all it needed to last. But anyway, yeah, so it still bothers me. <laughs> Dr. Jurgen has has all these like medicine vials. But as you see, and, and we get a little hint of, of this in the early part of the episode, which I think is very interesting because they don't really explain what's going on. But then you put it together at the end, which is maybe one of the most interesting scientific parts of this of this show that they have done. You see her taking this little medicine vial and it's just it's weirdly positioned. And I don't know why I'm doing this for the camera as if anybody can see it. But as as, as she's about to stick the needle in the 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 medicine uh, yeah, container. He's really like showing me specifically watch the episode. I don't need to show him this. <laughs> but you see that it, the needle passes the the little medicine vial and goes right into her arm. She is injecting 
people with vampire blood in a concentrated enough dose to give them the youthful effects, but to not give them the other vampire stuff. They can still go outside in the sun. They right. don't they don't grow old, but they do have to get regular injections of it or it wears off. But again, Which, apparently hey, violent outbursts are a thing that happens here. And you know what? This would have been a good subject for an episode about addiction. Might as well face it. You're addicted to looking like you're in your 20s. Um, so there's a lot of fun things about this episode as well. Like one. Natalie is trying to come up with other possibilities of creatures. And Nick is so flippant about denying the existence of anything else except vampires and apparently zombies. He said zombies, but I feel like he was making a joke about that. Like, come on, Natalie, Maybe. you think zombies are real? Says the vampire. <laughs> and and that's that's Natalie's thing. He's he, and he just brings up uh, 800 years and I've never seen anything, which I mean. It's not like he's gone looking. I don't know. I I, I find it's, that it's it's not a annoying. Buffy. It's not a Buffy episode where vampires are really only a thing in the first season, and then it becomes a whole demon cavalcade. Uh, I understand that. I just that that that. But but I want to say on the other me. on the other side of that, I thought that they had a very subtle hint about what was going on in this when they were do. She did the blood work on dead old Norma and found a strain of flu that had not been in existence for 300 years. And it, yeah. took, and it oh, took no, me. They said they said 1942, I think. I think they, they were she when she took the blood, she found something that had not been seen since 1942, which I think was to say that Norma has been taking these treatments for so long because they're old, old ladies that her actual, you know, self would have been maybe 90 at this time i i thought it was longer than that because they kept talking about how it was a a 300 year old this and blah 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 because that's when nick starts putting that together anyway i just thought that was a very subtle hint at at how this was this process was going on that i didn't really it didn't click until later on in the episode which for for as thin as some of these episodes are as far as the plot is concerned when a plot element can surprise me i'm very happy with it (laughs) Yeah, um, we also have the return of, are they? Aren't they? With Nick and Jeanette, because they have this whole conversation. They have a more than friendly kiss. And it's very confusing. because Nick kisses everybody except for Skanky. Nick um, kisses everybody, including old Bernice at the end of this episode. Let's be real. Yeah, but with, with him and the lips. With, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, but specifically, specifically with, with Jeanette, I think a modern show would probably flesh that idea out better and probably associate the guaranteed triangle with uh, Natalie at some point. Uh, there, there is one moment in the show that, that's super, super heavy handed. It's when Bernice goes, you just don't realize what it takes to be beautiful. And I thought that was a little much. Yeah, I mean, it's. The writing in these shows, keep it. I mean, we have to remember we're in 2020. This is in 1992. Things needed to be spelled out a little bit more for 
yes this stuff but but also i mean there are moments where man i wish the writing the writers were keyed into something because like the the scene where nick goes another as if it's a surprise that there's another vampire around when in the last episode there was another vampire around there we have vampires in town that it, well two episodes just, before. two episodes yes two episodes ago I, that just didn't play very well for me. Um, and then you have this great scene where, even though it wouldn't have hurt him, Nick's about to be attacked by one of the women, not the Baroness, and she's shot by Skanky, who came in the nick of time. Skank Squad! Skanky saw some of the vampiness that happened with the Baroness and Nick and just goes like, oh, my God. And I would (laughs) have loved if they had stuck with that. That well, there's there's a second level to that. That that because keep in mind, the 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 Baroness has gone to free Agnes, who is in jail for killing that dude that deserve to yes. get hit in the head with the with the weight um and the guard in this jail cell doesn't remember why he let them out or doesn't remember letting them out and that was co- a kind of a cool scene kind of a cool thing where it's like i don't remember i didn't do this and skanky's giving him a hard time and mm-hmm. now skanky at the end of the episode is getting a hard time because he doesn't remember why he shot this person or what happened and da, 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 da. which if you don't remember why you shot somebody that I should mean, be a much larger cause for concern <laughs> 2020 lens miles 2020 lens no no not 2020 lens <laughs> any 20 lens any 20 like, lens miles any 20 lens <laughs> it's just but but i i would have loved for Skanky to have been informed or to have maybe not say what he saw and have that start to nod him. I thought that I think that would have been so interesting. Instead, Nick compels him and he and Natalie have a big old laugh about it. Well, and this, and this is the thing. I don't know because I haven't looked this up if Skanky ever finds out that Nick is a vampire. Obviously, we have three episodes left in this season. And I think that there is equal chance that Skanky finds out, but then is wiped again, or he just never finds out because it's it's more interesting for him not to know because Skanky would tell everybody and then the enforcers would have to come. The fact that we know that the enforcers never come back is probably because Skanky never finds out that Nick is a vampire. Yes, Um and then they have the last scene where where Nick is is walking Bernice home, I guess, and she's revealed to be an old lady, but it has the same voice that she's had the entire episode. And that dubbing just did not work for me at all. <laughs> Miles, she'll punish you. Oh, it was it was not great. <laughs> um, I also I love that, you know. The Baroness doesn't die. She's not arrested, so she just she, she just she disappears. Vanishes. And, well, but what's weird though is that she has this this like revelation, like oh god, what have I done? That is honestly the only thing that rings hollow to me because yes. you didn't realize what you were doing. 
for 300 I, I, years? I, I, again, and this is this is the problem, and this is why, and we have said this consistently throughout our watch through of Forever Night Season 1, is I would love to see someone give this show another crack, keep a lot of the same characters, keep a lot of the same beats, some of the same mysteries, obviously not all, and really flesh things out. I, I think like if HBO Max had forever, or I guess now Paramount Plus. It would have to be Paramount had, Plus because of yeah. CBS. Which CBS, right. Which is fine. If Paramount Plus got someone to do Forever Night, and I'm, I am shocked well, it hasn't happened. Miles, Miles, we're putting this out here right now. Paramount Plus, we know you're listening because you listen to everything. Miles and I will show run your Forever Night remake. Oh, yeah. We'll do Silly. it. We'll make the connections. We'll put the scripts together, get the writer's room. We will get returning cast and cameo roles. All of this will happen. Just you have my number. I hope you can afford Kat Dennings because that's just playing Natalie. <laughs> that's up for that's up for debate. You got my email no. address. You got my email <laughs> that's address. That's my line in the sand. <laughs> you cast whoever you want as Nick. <laughs> So with that said, to wrap up, anything else we want to say on If Looks Good Kill? Um, not not this episode specifically, but I was kind of uh, hoping to get your idea on these three episodes in general. Uh, these, I mean, it, it's funny, these three, because keep in mind, we have a 22 episode run count. I have not watched a TV show with a 22 episode run count in a long time now and really? i mean not a new one i still watch cw shows so uh, well, there you I, go. I, I, I i do <laughs> so i i look at these i look at these episodes and i think okay these are all great concepts for individual episodes when you have to fill that many hours of television which was of sure. course extremely common up until very 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 recently sure i see so much here that works Mm -hmm. and i see so much here that doesn't quite land it the way that it could and that's not especially that's not an insult because again the the things that work in this show work really really well like even even in feeding the beast an episode that miles and i talk about is largely problematic there were some of the best performances out of characters in the entire season so far yeah and these three episodes in particular you know they all tried to talk about something and that that isn't always the case with forever night you know there are some times when it's just you know uh, an episode that's more on the supernatural side or it's more involved about the procedural case. And all three of these episodes at least attempted to to add to a conversation. Whether it succeeds or fails is entirely up to you within the time frame that you watched it. I mean, I'll be honest, it, it mostly fails when it comes to its actual social commentary. That's fine. Most network shows do. Yeah. But... I mean, feeding, like, like feeding, the Be- I mean, feeding the Beast does feel like a very special episode of Forever Night. It absolutely does. <laughs> I honestly, for the most part, even though it's pretty heavy handed in in certain areas, I feel like if looks could kill kind of nails the stuff it's trying to talk about, but at expense 
of the narrative. Because while all the stuff it says about beauty standards and about, you know, oh, well, well women just because uh, of men or because of, of, of the st- standards that they set, all the stuff they do in this episode in that respect is very solid. However, the story itself, wow, good. I love that the, the Baroness became a vampire. I love that she is kind of the villain of the week. There is so much about this story from basic plot points that work for me. However, the actual writing muddies it up a little bit. And, you know, I will say, I thought all these episodes were extremely fun to watch. I think that it might be the best batch we've had so far. We've had we've had episodes where we had standouts that we really liked a lot. But as far as all three episodes, I feel like this was some of the more consistent. Maybe. I feel like they're definitely getting into a they're getting into a rhythm here towards towards the end of the season that that if we were going to watch season two at some point, I would hope that this would be the quality that would be the baseline. Um, it's which yes. is so weird to say because feeding the beast well, is such a, a divis- divisive episode for us. That well, it's it's interesting because a lot of shows tend to find themselves in the back half of their first season. You know, a lot of people checked out of Gotham in the first half after the first half of its first season, and it started to develop an arc in the second half and kept that throughout its five season run. And to a degree, Forever Night does that as well. Once we get to the halfway mark of the season so far, I mean, we've had some stellar episodes. I mean, the rock and roll episode is is again, but the rock and roll episode I love so much because it is zany. It is but wild. It, it is, needs to be. But but it also doesn't make a ton of narrative sense. But the, but we have episodes but it doesn't here. matter because it's so fun. Yeah, we have episodes <laughs> here that do make a lot of narrative sense. I'm I'm very excited just looking at the the previews of of like the the little sort of snippets of what the next three episodes are about as we round out the the first season of forever night we have one more forever night first season episode and i cannot believe it miles next week i I can't either and i appreciate uh any listener who has gone through this entire journey with us i i can understand that some people might have been like oh well i might step out until they're done with this uh, I've done that with certain podcasts before, so I wouldn't be offended. But I'm just, I'm just a, glad that nobody has shared these uh, these episodes that we've done with the Forever Night fan community because we have gotten no hate mail about them, which I'm so happy about. We've I, we've had a couple of people who like Forever Night who have reached out and and enjoyed our candor because I mean, even when we make fun of the show, we're not really making fun of the show, and it, we're especially not doing maliciously because I genuinely enjoy what I'm watching. I genuinely appreciate the show for what it was when it was and i am excited to finish out the first season um next week will I, be the last i will interview john capellos i will if anybody has connections to him let me know hashtag skank squad <laughs> uh and, and speaking of um so next week is our last week for forever night uh, we will be doing a whole new theme for the month 
of March. It will not be a deep dive. And we will also have a very special announcement to make next week that we are not going to tease on our social media. So you're going to have to listen next week to find out. Ooh. So, uh, so next week, just to cover, we're going to talk about episode 20, 21, and 22, Fatal Mistake, 1966, and Love You to Death, to round that out. Miles, if people want to reach out to us, where can they find us? You can email us at themoyunerd at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at themoyunerd and Twitter at themoyunerd. So until next time... We're going to end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd. nerd. <laughs>